0: When Nick passed, I think the first thing I did was Google grief. And those five stages of grief came up and I printed it out. And I was like, okay, week one, I'm angry. Week two, I'm sad. Week three, I was like, focused on what Google was telling me grief was. And then I didn't follow any of it. I didn't take anybody's advice. And I think that's
1: Hey everyone, it's Danielle. Today, my guest is Amanda Klutz. She's a former Broadway dancer and Radio City Rockette who became a celebrity fitness trainer. And now she's a co-host of The Talk on CBS. Last year, Amanda lost her husband, Nick Cordero, after he battled COVID-19 and its complications. And Amanda gave us all a window into his fight by sharing on social media bringing together a community from all around the world. Amanda's first book, Live Your Life, details her journey and showcases her resilience. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to Skimmed from the Couch. Good morning. So I, first of all, knew of you when you were in New York as a fitness instructor and you know had heard and kind of just looking at the things you were doing with the jump rope, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did she get to do this? And obviously way back before everything happened with Nick was interested in your story as an entrepreneur. And you've shared so much in the past year and a half. I want to start with just what's something people can't Google about you?
0: Oh, (laughs) that's a good question, Danielle. Uh, You know, maybe like the the early, early days, like before like my early Broadway days, honestly, I it's sometimes hard to even remember your own life, you know, but like, sometimes I wish I documented more. But this was like before all the social media and Instagram, but like, the first days that I was living in New York, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was 18 years old going to musical theater conservatory school. And I can like see myself walking down Columbus Avenue, like heading to classes. But like, those days, you definitely can't Google about me, but I feel like they are like the defining moments of growth in someone, you know, those like trying to prove yourself, you're out of the house, you're 18 years old, you're living in New York city and you're trying to like find out who I am now, you know?
1: Yeah. From your social media, you see this, but also in reading your book, I think you understand it a little bit more from reading about your family. Like you have a super tight knit family and you're from the Midwest, and then you at 18 come to New York, and I'm picturing you, and I'm also kind of thinking about myself at that stage. Were you nervous, or were you like, I am living my dream?
0: It was a mixture of both, but I definitely was nervous because I was mostly a dancer coming to a musical theater conservatory school program. So acting and singing were in my wheelhouse, but I definitely was not like my strongest points. So I was nervous about all of that. But also, you know, my mom says it best when they were driving away, they dropped me off at the dorms. So they spend a couple days with me and they're driving away back home to Ohio. And they see me walking down the street with this long ponytail, just going left to right. And my mom said to my dad, we've made the biggest mistake of our entire lives, basically just dropping me off in New York city. This, you know, Midwestern Ohio girl, in New York City. And luckily they didn't. But I can see why, especially now being a parent, I was like, I would never let my daughter. (laughs)
1: Totally.
0: (laughs) Especially me. I was so green. I was like this Ohio kind of farm girl in New York. I mean, like, I didn't live a sheltered childhood, but I guess in a way I kind of did. So it was definitely an eye opening experience for sure.
1: When you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to be a dancer? Like, at what stage do you have to start getting serious about it? And does it go from like this is a kid who was good in the classes to oh my gosh, this could be like my child's career?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't start dancing till I was in fourth grade, which is you could say late, I guess. But also, I don't think that it necessarily is because. At that stage, you're finally kind of understanding how to use your body, but most little girls start dancing at two or three years old. And then it was in sixth grade that I wrote an essay, and I said, I want to be on Broadway, and I want to be a Radio City Rockette. And then I was in the high school productions of musicals, and my senior year, I was the lead in the musical, and that kind of confirmed and sealed the deal, like, this is what I want to do, I want to go to school for this, And I've definitely broke the mold of my brother and sisters. They had gone to Ohio colleges for four years and had real jobs. (laughs) And I was like, I want to be on Broadway. (laughs) But, you know, luckily, I mean, it took convincing. But my mom and dad were like, Okay, you can do this two year school. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, that two years equals the amount of money we pay for my siblings. So you're on your own after those two years. And like I said, luckily I booked a national tour, Forty Second Street, two days before I graduated, so it was all good.
1: <laughs> There's so many things there that I I want to go into, <laughs> yeah. but I want to talk about how did you make and why did you make the transition going from dancing into becoming the fitness instructor that. Mm-hmm kind of had this enormous social following. Mm-hmm. It was a thing like Amanda and her jump rope. I remember seeing that. And at the same time in New York, there was also an explosion of these kind of like boutique fitness places. And mm-hmm. I feel like you were right at the middle of that.
0: hmm. So I was, you know, doing Broadway shows and the Broadway life is wonderful, but it's also horribly hard the ups and downs you know one day you're employed the next week you're on unemployment and you know I'm five foot ten you put me in a heel on a stage I'm six feet so I can't be in every show and that's just a reality I'm not trying to say oh poor me it's just that there are certain shows that I'm in and then there's a lot of shows that I will never be in like wicked would never be in they don't hire six foot girls they just don't and it's okay so I can't be in show after show and show after show. So I found fitness as kind of my through line and I had many through lines. I was an airbrushed artist in the tanning salon. I would nanny. I, you know, did also I hostess at restaurants, but then I found fitness as kind of like, okay, this job is a keeping me in shape in between shows. I love teaching. I've always wanted to teach. And I love fitness. I love moving my body. And it was a dance cardio place that I was teaching at Body by Simone. So it was kind of like I was dancing. And dance cardio class kind of feels like you're performing. So I was in the front of this room teaching a class of ladies dance performing fitness. And I was like, I have found my home. So I kept in the Broadway world. And then I was 32 and kind of like my whole world came crashing down. The Broadway show that was supposed to be the biggest hit of Broadway, Bullets Over Broadway, closed in three months. And at the same time, my marriage of seven years was falling apart. So I was going through a divorce and I lost my job. I felt so desperate, alone, sad, like I had no control. And I looked at my life and I was like, I don't have a Broadway show. And now I've lost my financial support when I'm unemployed, because, you know, when you're married to another actor, you kind of help each other, right? Like if I'm unemployed, luckily he's working and he was at the time, or if, you know, he's not working, I'm working. So you kind of like share these responsibilities. So I was like, I'm 32. How am I going to afford a studio apartment in this city, in a a neighborhood that I feel safe in on an hourly wage where I'm working and I couldn't even get unemployment because if you're on the clock somewhere, you can't get unemployment. So then I'd have to work. I was working six hours a day teaching fitness. And at the time she couldn't give us even insurance. So I had no insurance (laughs) working six hours a day, killing my body, but not making enough money to even support myself and losing my job and my partner in, in life. I was like destitute. I was so sad. And I had had this idea for a jump rope class and I had pitched it a couple of times and nobody seemed to think it was a good idea. And I was like, no, this is something I have something here. And I started my own fitness business just by teaching privates and then amping up how, like how I could get this class going. And I met Jen Bandier and she said, girlfriend, whatever you need, I believe in you. I've heard about you. You got it. And I was like, what? And she was like, I love it. What do you need? I was like, I guess jump ropes. (laughs) And she was like, dot. And that kind of started the whole thing.
1: I love that story because there's so many different elements to it. And we get asked all the time, like side hustles. How do you make one thing work when you really want to do another thing? How do you decide between doing something you love and being able to afford it? And all of those things were the very real things that you went through. And it takes me back, actually, to when I was first living in New York City, working multiple jobs, trying to balance all of that, didn't have insurance, like that whole story. And I think that's a lot of where our audience is. It's so hard. I mean, it is a
0: true hustle, and I think that New York does give you like the, the like you just Grit. feel that like New York beat like you're like yeah. yeah I can wake up at six, do three privates, and then go teach a class, and then go airbrush somebody at the tanning salon, and then babysit, and then come back, and then like and make everything happen, get to this audition, and you're just like I look back at those days, Danielle, and I'm like, how was I? How did I survive? How totally. did I do this? But it's like it's what I don't know. It's like youth and also just
1: the New York pace just keeps you like, I have to do this. 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 It's crazy. Transitioning from that craziness to then obviously, and I'm speeding this up because I think a lot of people have followed you in your story. Mm -hmm. And then you meet Nick, you guys fall in love, you decide to get married, you have a beautiful baby and the world goes into lockdown and Mm -hmm. all of that hustle stops. So this, this interview, I, I followed your story as I've said multiple times. I've read your book and it resonated with me in so many ways. And it's actually the first time that I've ever talked about my, I think grief has been a huge motivator for me in my career. And it's hard to have that conversation with someone who hasn't experienced that. And when I look at your story, it was, you know, a different time and wasn't in the middle of a global pandemic, but grief had a huge impact on my career. I lost my biological mom when I was a little Mm -hmm. bit older than Elvis and my dad got remarried and uh, we had a really great family. And then my mom, who I grew up with, passed away really suddenly three years ago. And I look at your story and I can relate both by looking at what Elvis is going through and also seeing the plight of someone trying to make sure that they're balancing their career with the uncertainties and also just someone grieving. So the first thing on that is just, how are you guys doing today?
0: Well, we're good. We're good. Other than, you know, Danielle and I started this morning off with both disastrous mornings and Elvis we did. had a, uh, decided he, he's into throwing things. So other than his throwing my alarm clock down the stairs and ruining my salt crystals. I'm good. It's funny with grief, you go through these huge waves. And right now, luckily, because I'm doing this book tour press, and I'm talking about this story multiple times in a day. Luckily, I'm in a really good place right now. But I also realize that that could change with a drop of a hat. It's so crazy how a wave will come in and just crash you down. So, you know, right now I'm okay. I have my whole family in town, which is really nice because it's fun to have them here. Like you said, we're huge, you know, big old love bunch of people. We, we love each other and we're each other's best friends and Anna's living with me in my house. So that's really fun to have her around again. And so that all really helps. But yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing in a day. I keep a calendar and I make sure that I just like, what time is it? And what am I supposed to be doing? Because if I don't look at it, I, (laughs) I end up like taking a nap and people calling me being like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. I remember in the middle of while Nick was still, you know, in the hospital and I was following along on social as I think so many people did. I remember there was this time and I you addressed it that like you're a mom who might be facing being an only parent or the only person making money for a mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. and kind of shut down, I guess, some oh, yes. comments that had, had come your way. And I, I yes. think the comments were closed, so I don't know, even know if I saw them. Mm-hmm. But that just resonated so much. For a lot of people, mm-hmm. When I was grieving a few years ago, they would say like, you know, just channel it into work, channel it into work. It'll help. And I personally, it didn't help me, but Mm -hmm. I did it because I had a responsibility. I Mm -hmm. needed to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. I needed to take care of the fact that, you know, we had a hundred employees. How was that for you? Like was work Mm -hmm. a saving grace in some Mm -hmm. ways? Was it something that you needed to do to make sure you were taking care of all this?
0: Yes. So, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I do think that your audience can relate to that story. And I'm going to touch on it in a second, but I'll answer your first question, which is luckily one of my businesses that I run is my fitness business and my fitness and moving my body and exercising is my number one go-to mental health release. So when COVID hit and and everything went into lockdown and Nick was still healthy because this was in the beginning of March as I, I was, we were in New York packing up our apartment and I was seeing things like slowly close down. Right. And I was thinking to myself, I need to get my platform online ASAP. I just like felt it. So I launched my subscription series on my website with all the videos that I had, anything and everything that I had, and some of them were like bad, but I was just like, I need to get this up there and put it up. And I had been just kind of snailing through that process for years. Like, I really want to do this, but I have to have the perfect lighting and the perfect space and the perfect outfits and the perfect music. And, and it has to be really great quality. And then the greatest thing I think about quarantine and all of this was that nobody wanted perfection. Everybody was just looking for raw, natural community and somewhere to go. And so I was just like, blah, threw up my subscription series. And I was managing that while Nick was in the hospital. It was a saving grace because yes, I would be like, I would get off FaceTiming with him and then have to like go film a video for my subscription series. So like talk about a 360 degree mental mind change, But in a way, it was the best thing for me because I was like, okay, Nick is, I just FaceTimed with him, turn on music and let's do a 20 minute ad video, you know? And listen, it wasn't even fake because it is so much a part of my life, like to just exercise, to feel better and to share that. But I will say, going back to the story that you were talking about, it was July 4th. So this was a July 4th sale of a workout mat that I created that I was super proud of creating. And I put it on a sale for July 4th and posted it on my Instagram. And the backlash from women about trying to sell a product while my husband was dying in the hospital was horrific. And I rarely lose my but I lost my because I was like, I'm sorry. First of all, if this was a man trying to provide for his family while his wife was in the hospital, he would be celebrated. Right. Oh my gosh. He's still hard at work. He's trying to provide for his son and make sure that his wife is okay. He's, Oh, he's a hero, but a woman, I was slammed by other women trying to provide for my family when my husband is out of work. Even if he survives, he will be out of work for a very long time. Our only income is the business that I run. And I can't put something on a sale to try to make money for my family. I was like, what? Aren't we supposed to be supporting each other? I was just like, I, I couldn't let that one go.
1: <laughs> I still can't, as you can tell. <laughs> no, and I, I really felt like you shouldn't. Let it go because everything you just said came across to me in that moment of seeing someone who has so much on her plate. And sometimes what I think about the narrative around grief is like, there's a choice to put Mm -hmm. your life on hold, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that there's a choice that you don't have to go to work. I didn't have that choice. I don't think you had that choice. (laughs) Like it wasn't like you can just as much as you want your life to stop, right? It can't Good because you have to pay bills because you can't miss out on an opportunity that comes up. Right, And I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough. And in that moment, that's what I took away. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for bringing it up because it's, I think it's so important as we're in this culture right now in our world where we're trying to, you know, empower the feminine I mean, we ha- we have to support one another. We have to lift each other up. We can't slam somebody down. And listen, this is a curveball from where we're going, but it's gonna happen again. Watch when I start dating. How how dare? Oh my gosh! It hasn't even been a year, or it's been a year, or it hasn't been a long enough time, or how can you love or love again after Nick? But for some reason, if it's a man that loses his wife, it's You have to find another woman to take care of you. You have to find a mother for your son. Right. You know, but with me and it's funny because what's interesting and I'm already seeing it because people are making comments and asking me if I'll ever find love again, or if I want to find love again or make sure you wait long enough to find love again. Like there's a time or like a day that I'm just going to wake up and say, I'm ready. Today's the day. It's so interesting. And I want to say to everybody, and I'll say it right now there is no one more closer to this story than me. There is no one that loves that man more than me and his mother. <laughs> like, I will always love him. I will always cherish our relationship. But am I just supposed to never move on again? Hopefully, I mean, I may never. I don't know because I can't say that I'm going to find somebody. I mean, like, I hope so, but like, you never know in life.
1: All. I would say on that is, you know, and I said in the beginning, part of me really views this story from being Elvis age. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that my dad did start dating early and it totally changed my life. And so Uh. I think that what you're talking about is so often, I think people feel like they know you from social and know Mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. And they're so much more. And I think along those lines, social is something that helped your business grow so much. Absolutely. And it's also something that then gave the most intimate look, I think, into grief during COVID because Nick was healthy, because Mm -hmm. you were already known to a lot of people. It Mm -hmm. felt like it could happen to anyone. Do you look back now and regret putting so much on social? Mm -hmm. Or do you feel like that was helpful to your grieving process? Oh
0: my God, it was so helpful. I mean, to be honest, throughout the process, so many of my friends were like, Amanda, you know, you don't have to keep everybody informed all the time. But I kept telling them, and I'll say it again now, I could not have gotten through that time without my army, my virtual army the prayers, the support, the love, the 3 p.m. singing every day with me, the medical advice. I mean, I'd be in the hospital and the doctors would tell me something and they're like, okay, well, you know, because it was the wild, wild west. They didn't even know exactly what to do because everyone, even in the hospital with coronavirus, was reacting differently. So there were things that, you know, they were trying medically that they had never tried before because they didn't know what would happen. So you know, they would leave the hospital room and I'd get on social and I'd say, who can help me with releasing carbon dioxide from their lungs? And like within 10 minutes, I had like whew, a list from people all over the world on advice. And then the doctors would come back in and I would be like, so what about blah, 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 blah. And I have a doctor for you to call in Israel and blah, 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 blah. And Dr. Ng would look at me and he'd be like, that happened in 10 minutes. I was like, you're going to want to hire me when this is over and you're not going to be able to afford me, Dr. Ng. And he was like, I mean, it was insane. So I don't regret it for an instant. It was my therapy. It was my support. And it was like my medical team every single day. And like I said, I couldn't have gotten through it without that virtual army.
1: You know, in reading the book, one thing that came up is when you talk about not knowing what questions to ask or not even knowing that you could ask questions. hmm And that is something that in our business, we try to take away from everyone, that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about it in terms of being an advocate for someone else. Mm -hmm. Has that experience made you less afraid of things that you don't know? Mm -hmm. I just feel like that would be the ultimate test of being able to have to ask questions because your partner's life is on the line. Mm -hmm. And Digging up information and making decisions on it, I feel like from there, I would feel like I could kind of understand anything in a way, <laughs> in the best sense. Because yeah. I think that it, you know it gives you, and it, it's a weird thing probably to think back now, but there's a confidence that comes with it. In a life mm-hmm. or death situation, yeah, you had to understand or try to understand what the stakes right. were.
0: Right, and yes, trust me when. In July, after Nick passed, I mean, I thought I could have joined the medical team at Cedar Sinai. I was so <laughs> so head in the game. Obviously, I couldn't have. But, you know, you get so invested in everything. And as things kept snowballing with Nick, of course, you start wanting to know and understand more things. I think the lesson I learned with that is how much you can still learn. We sometimes think like, oh, you know, I'm 39. And I don't need to learn that or I don't need to worry about that or that doesn't apply to me. And then when it does apply to you and you really start to learn and put like all your energy and focus on something, it's amazing what you can learn and what you can offer and what you can do. And I was just so green. Nick and I had never been in the hospital. The only time I was in the hospital was to give birth to Elvis. We were very healthy people, Um, especially Nick. He never even would get a cold. You know, when he first went into the ICU, I didn't even really, I hate to say, like I didn't even understand. You know what I mean? It was just like I knew those three letters put together were scary. Nobody wants to say they were in the ICU. But when he called and said, were well, they're going to put me on the ventilator, I was I didn't honestly even understand what a ventilator was. I mean, I, that's how green I was. And so then when they're calling you and giving you updates, I didn't understand that I could ask or have the privilege to ask any questions. I was just like, OK, and I'm a trustworthy person innately. So if a doctor is telling me information, I, I'll just kind of be like, OK, that's what's happening. And then as things happened, not that I never distrusted the doctors or nurses, but I just you have to start learning more. And so then I did.
1: What's your advice, if if you have any, for people that have to navigate the healthcare system for the first time? I would say ask for help and don't be afraid to ask questions
0: because it is very intimidating. Oh my gosh, I think the hospital environment is so intimidating, especially when you don't know or really understand what's going on. But I got very brave in never like caring if they looked at me like I was a crazy lady I mean I was saying some crazy stuff because people would dm me and be like I'm making this up but you know tell them to put orange juice in his feeding tube but mix it with rosemary first because rosemary clears the windpipes." or something I'm, I, that's a completely made up experience but not too far from things that I was pitching to the doctors and they would look at me a lot of times like I had five heads and they were like Oh my God, here she goes again with her weird suggestions. But at the same time, they were saying they didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, if if you're telling me you don't know medically what else to do, I'm going to throw out all the weird suggestions I can. And I don't care if you look at me like I have five heads. So I would just say, be brave and ask questions and ask for help because they're there to help you. They want to help. They want to see that person live. They really do. No, No doctor or nurse wants to have somebody die in their table. They want to
1: help. Doing press and talking about the book, how do you relive this moment again? And I understand it's not like you ever forget it too, right? So that's a big part of it, but has it been cathartic? Is it taking up much more energy than you thought? How has this experience with the book been?
0: It's so interesting because yes, like yesterday I did four one-hour interviews. Today I have a three-hour interview and it is, it's very strange. And what's interesting maybe is that everybody asks different questions. Like this morning, you're asking me different questions, which I kind of love. And then it like makes me think of something else. And so then that kind of is like, oh, wow. Because of course, like in your memory, you have the whole story and I have like the bullet points of the story of Nick, but then like kind of like these little memories that weave in and out, they you just bring up a, a, like a thing where you're just like, oh my God. And then that takes you kind of back and then you kind of have to like snap back into reality. I think I'm the type of person and I think we maybe saw this in the 95 days that we were fighting for Nick. I go into like warrior mode. And I think if I was outside looking in on myself I'm seeing myself right now in that fighter mode again where I just am like I know book tour press is happening and I know my daily schedule and I know I'm going to be talking about this so I'm like in fighter pilot mode and when it's all over I'm taking myself on a vacation and it'll happen to be over the anniversary of Nick's passing Timing in my life is always very interesting. And I don't know, maybe talking about this so much right before this anniversary will be cathartic and help me on that day. Anniversaries this year have been sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're horrible. Sometimes it's the day before the anniversary that is the hardest for me and or the day after. But yeah, it'll be July 5th and I'll be somewhere very lovely, quiet, and be able to kind of just, I think, finally decompress all of this talking about the story.
1: And I think anniversaries are, they're weird because everyone experiences it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an expectation that that day itself, like, yeah, means something and you're supposed to feel that way. And then yeah. it's surprising. So I would say don't put too many expectations on it, but I'm really happy to hear that you're going on vacation. You've talked about, and I think, I can't remember if you, you posted it this week, something with Elvis and oh, Elvis preschool. Is that what it is? The timing of things in your life all happening at once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you're also a very spiritual person. You believe in signs. Mm -hmm. How do you think about timing and signs after everything that happened? Has it reinforced your faith? What I've noticed is
0: because these things kind of, again, like you said, are all happening at the same time. I started the audiobook at the same, like they were the same dates that a year ago I took Nick to the hospital or Elvis going to preschool, which is like most likely a very emotional experience for a mother is happening at the same time as this book tour. For me, I think what it is, is God saying, I know you're going to go through an emotional moment slash shift. And so I'm going to create like a tornado around it so that you don't have to experience necessarily just those really hard emotional feelings. I'm going to keep you so busy that you're just like moving through the emotional moment in this kind of whirlwind so that you're kind of like covered. Is how I've looked at it. <laughs> it's how I'm choosing to look at it.
1: You say choosing to look at it, and that strikes me so much about your story. Like, you mm-hmm. are so f-ing positive. And <laughs> is that still the case? When I think about my grief, like, I was mad for a long time. Mm-hmm. How are you still that positive?
0: I really am. I know. I, I, I sometimes wonder myself like how, how how can i be so positive but i am i i don't know i i think i've always been that type of person i've always lived an optimistic life i've always thought in a circumstance why does it have to be that way i remember like looking back at as a kid giving advice to my friends being like no well, don't do that don't don't think that think this you know sure you can So, yeah, it's just always been innately me. And I do think it's something to practice. I think if you practice positivity, practice makes perfect. And if you practice negativity, it'll take you over for sure. I wake up every morning. I have my positive quote. I post it on my Instagram stories. And, you know, I've been doing that for four years straight. And that idea, side note, came out of me waking up one morning and seeing something very disheartening on Instagram that, personally kind of offended me. And I was like, I'm going to turn this whole situation around on on itself. And I'm just going to post a positive quote and think about that today, instead of what I just saw. And I've been doing it ever since.
1: So I've got one more question before we go into the lightning round. They say, and I I don't even know who they is. Maybe it's like Hmm. grief experts say not to make any big decisions in the year following a big death all i keep doing is making big decisions so, and i i didn't follow that advice you know you were offered this opportunity with the talk yeah. and it's got to be a huge time commitment yeah. and also huge opportunity yeah how did you think about taking that on well i will first say that when nick passed
0: i think the first thing i did was google grief and those five stages of grief came up and i printed it out and i was like okay week one, I'm angry, week two, I'm sad, again, making up those stages. But I was like, focused on what Google was telling me grief was. And then I didn't follow any of it. I didn't take anybody's advice. I got sent every grief book, I couldn't read them. I decided to do the exact opposite, which is keep working out and post workout videos, which people didn't understand. I can't believe she's smiling two weeks after her husband passed. Yeah, well, don't worry. I'm also crying a lot, but also trying to keep myself healthy and mentally sane. So I didn't follow anyone's advice. And I think that's the number one rule. If you're grieving, don't follow advice. It's your own path. This roller coaster, you get on and you sit in your own seat and nobody can tell you how you're going to ride that ride. Some people sit on a roller coaster with their arms up and smile the whole way. Some people hold and grip that chair and shake the whole time. And when they get off, say, I'm never doing that again. You know what I mean? We all ride that roller coaster differently. And how dare we judge anybody's ride. But the talk, you know, the talk was the first time I guest co-hosted, I felt immediately at home. The women looked at me with these beautiful eyes of like, We're here for you. We got you arms that were socially distanced, giving me a hug. I felt like so at home. I felt it was like a daytime Broadway show, not very far away from my wheelhouse of what I did in New York of acting and singing and dancing. It just felt like, oh, I go to my dressing room. I get my wig and my makeup on and my hair and my outfit, my costume. I go do my Broadway show and then I'm home for the day. For a mom, it's the perfect job. I get to spend the mornings with Elvis and the afternoons with Elvis. It's the perfect mom job. I pinch myself every day I'm on set and I have I get to go to a job where I sit with four other women and talk about topics like it's a dream for a single mom with a two year old that once she leaves that environment goes home to talk about trash trucks. I never want it to end. It's like the best job in the entire world. And I'm having such a good time and forever grateful to CBS for that one.
1: Well, that is a great place to transition. So quick questions, quick mm-hmm. answers. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Favorite quick dinner to make?
0: Probably my vegetable wrap that I make.
1: Last TV show you binge watch? Ted Lasso, of course,
0: probably, but I, was I gonna love- say-
1: Oh my God. That is, it's so fitting, but uh, it's, it's so, so good.
0: It's so good. And now I'm on younger. So I am, I am binging younger right now. And yes. I keep DMing Hillary Duff being like, why are you the cutest person in the entire world? I'm loving your show. And she's like, are you just starting it? I'm like, I just started it and I'm on season three and it's like night three.
1: <laughs> I'm just starting it too. And oh I gosh. love it. Yeah. It's so cute. Last time you negotiated for yourself.
0: Oh, every day? (laughs) With a toddler, you kind of negotiate every day.
1: (laughs) No, but I would say
0: every day just because I run so many businesses and hats that I'm pretty much negotiating every day.
1: Worst piece of advice you've gotten?
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Honestly, like
0: lately is like stop sharing your life on Instagram.
1: What do you do to unwind
0: or unplug? Oh, I love getting a massage. I've uh, lately into sound baths. I have this really great friend who comes over and does a sound bath with me and puts me into like a meditative state. And that is lately my newest favorite thing. Those sound bath bowls, oh my god, they sound and then she wakes me up with chimes and I'm like, "Where was I?" <laughs> They're amazing. I feel like I'm in another universe. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I did that once and I was like – I I was making fun of it, like signing yeah. up for the class. And yeah. I was like, oh, love a good sound bath. Like what is totally this? I thought it was great.
0: I was like, I'm so LA. I'm doing a sound yeah. bath. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> can I book one every week?
1: <laughs> yes. Last question. Who is someone else we should have on this show? Oh, have you had my friend Ami Song?
0: No, we have Ami not. Ami Song is – one of my friends and I used to train her. Now I we don't have time for each other's training, but we do play tennis together. I love Ami. She is just a real girl. She's an incredible, obviously fashion influencer. Yeah. But she is a real person and she's so genuine
1: and friendly and positive. That's a great suggestion. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank and you. we are I'll speak on behalf of Carly and myself just rooting for you and thank Elvis. You. Thank you. And wish you guys nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at skim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M mcom Two M's for a little something extra.